Hi everyone and welcome to the Parma podcast. I am James Prescott, your host. Welcome to the show. Really great to have you all back again. Um, and today, a new guest. Um, I've been looking forward to this one for a while. Um, they reached out to me um, and for, for some reason... I had no idea. I don't know why I hadn't heard of heard of Candice, but I hadn't, and uh, I, I, I'm, I'm now uh, fully immersed in in her work. Um, Candice Zubinot, welcome to the show. Ah, oh, thanks, James. I felt the same way when yeah. I heard about you and your podcast. It's like, wait a second, we should know each other. Yes, that's <laughs> right. I think that's what you what you said to me when you messaged me was like you said um, we should we should we should connect we should be, we should collaborate you know um, you know kind of thing. yeah absolutely and um, uh, Candice is a therapist um, podcaster is finishing off a book and has founded a couple of different um, organizations which you'll tell us about what 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 are you involved in. Yes. So I founded the Christian Closet um, and Progressive Christian Counseling. So they are both online therapy and coaching organizations. Uh, and the Christian Closet specifically is for LGBTQ plus people. So all of our therapists there identify somewhere on the LGBTQ plus spectrum. Um, I do have a couple therapists who are straight who meet with straight family members, but um, that's been a big part of my focus is, hey, if you are queer in some way, you deserve and need to meet with someone who really gets it in a personal way. Um, so we see people, we, we, most of us, actually all of us live in the United States. I live in the United States, but we see people in the UK and all over Europe all the time. Um, and then progressive Christian counseling is for those folks who don't necessarily need the LGBTQ focus, but who are really struggling with their faith and, and the deconstruction, reconstruction process. Um, and so both, uh, I'm incredibly grateful. It's, it is uh, deeply meaningful work that I love. So That's wonderful. That is wonderful. Um, and so needed um, as well, um, especially right now. <laughs> um, you know, mental health crisis and things, you know, especially with, the pandemic, you know, there was a mental health crisis before the pandemic, but it kind of, the pandemic exacerbated it. And um, yeah, we need it more than ever. So, yes. Yeah. And there's a ton you know, of people deconstructing now. So, yeah. Um, you and I were briefly mentioning grief, and, and I feel like the pandemic, it kind of brought, like, grief has so many gifts, you know? Um, but dang, it is so, I want to curse, effing hard, right? And the pandemic did kind of a similar thing. Like there are all these gifts because it had, um, there was no space, no distraction. And we had to just face ourselves. We had to face our lives. We had to face our pain. We had to face everything. And uh, how hard is that? That is the hardest thing ever. And yet what a gift. Um, mm. And so in that, there absolutely arose so many moments of crisis and, and mental health distress, um, but that also provided opportunity for healing and newness. Um, so yeah. I, I don't need to try to put a positive spin on it, but just like grief, there there is so much beauty in the midst of that dark pain. Absolutely, yeah. And actually, I remember at the beginning of the pandemic, really reflecting on this. It's that, that there would be. Because I, you know, um, 
I've done a lot of work around grief and exploration of grief myself um, and have lived experiences. Everyone who listens to the show will know. Uh, and I remember thinking the same, that, you know, this will be, this, at the beginning of the pandemic, this will be an opportunity for people to really sit with themselves and reflect and start doing the work um, of dealing any, with anything they're carrying, any grief, any trauma, any anything. Um, and there will be added grief because our lives are going to change dramatically, which they did, um, because we have to give up things, give up patterns, give up routines, give up ways of life that we were used to, give up, you know, um, you know, everyone was kind of hoping it would get back to normal. And I was, I knew that it would never be quite the same. And that, that is a grieving process. Leaving that, leaving the way you've lived behind and not being able to go back to it is a, is a grieving process. So we were all, and being in lockdown to start with, we had nowhere to go but to just sit and reflect on it ourselves. So, yeah. Yes, yes. Which is, and also I want to, just a random thing. I don't see that my little voice recorder thing is moving. Is it? Is it recording on your end? Absolutely, is it yeah, it is. Okay. It is. I, can see I wanted it. to make sure. I can hear you, um, so it's recording, don't worry. I, I love your words of like, you kind of can't go back. And I think that is a big part of um, coming out as a as LGBTQ plus person. Um, it's also true for our friends and family, especially our families. There is this experience that um, as glorious and as good as you, the rest of your life gets to be and, and, and you get to be a queer person in the world and, and all of that, there are these spaces of loss to say, um, I can't go back. And uh, that can feel really scary, even in terms of our faith. You know, gosh, how great it would be to be able to have a simple faith of um, I'm a sinner and Jesus saved me and uh, I pray and I go to church and that is it. And it's, it works and it's great. And mm. period, that's, that's it. Um, there was this, you know, it's very painful to realize I can't go back to that. That doesn't work for me. Um, and I don't know what to do now. How do I go forward? I don't. I don't see a path, and it's terrifying to not see a path. Um, Absolutely, yeah. I, that is, I said so many times in in different spaces and recordings and things that I've done. The, the, the what we call deconstruction is a grieving experience. Uh, you know, I mean, I think deconstruction is really just one part of that journey. Um, the kind of awake spiritual awakening journey and unlearning and all of that, but it's a nice word that umbrella word that people use, and it's a it's a grieving experience, and it's not just and it's not just grieving. It's a grieving so many things like the loss of community, the loss of relationships, um, the loss of the identity that you had within those communities and within that set of beliefs. Um, who you used to be and even though it's good that you're discovering who you are and you're you're getting free of toxic religion and toxic systems and like um there's still a grieving you know and i i actually noticed in myself i think this was during lockdown i i had moments where i like literally put on youtube clips of like worship songs and stuff because i was something in me was like was like missing it, even though I knew that I I didn't want to really 
play a part in that. I didn't want to participate in that anymore, and it wasn't where I was anymore. There was some kind of like it was it was grieving, you know. I was grieving the loss of that, and uh, yeah. So it's really interesting that and I've, I've noticed that other people have gone through the same thing, who um, are also kind of going through this process. That it's because it is grieving. It is it is it is letting go of whole identity in life that you had before and um, discovering a new one. Yes. And that something like worship music is so incredibly complicated to know what to do with. For me and a lot of people I work with, what happens is it just is like, it becomes all like, it's all BS. Forget about it. That was part of um, before, you know, coming out or, and, um, it was used to maybe manipulate our emotions and it's bad theology and um, I don't want anything to do with it. But, but I think for a lot of us and, and me, this is true for me and you're describing this, that there are these moments in these times in our lives where we start to, to like miss something about it and we can't quite put our finger on it. And it's not that we want, we, it's, it wouldn't be a fix to say, oh, well, now I'm just, that's the kind of music I'm, I'm going to always listen to now. I'm just going to go back to it because it doesn't fit the same way. Uh, mm. And there's fear in it as well, I think, to say that that sense of closeness to God and maybe even, maybe even a charismatic experience in worship, how can, was that real? Um it's scary to imagine that it was real. It's scary to imagine that it wasn't real. It's it's hard to know what to do with those moments. And and sometimes we miss them at the same time as much as we despise it. Um, and so to, to figure out how to give that still to ourselves, but not in the old way, is complicated because there aren't a lot of, um, like I said, paths that say, oh, this is how you can do that. And so you have to kind of create your own um, to say, maybe perhaps some of the maybe charismatic or, or spiritual experiences I had in worship, music worship, maybe some of them were real and maybe some of them were manipulated. Could both be true? And could it be true that I could find um, a way in my current space and my current life to connect with myself, connect with the divine, connect with others through this kind of music. Yeah. It's really interesting, isn't it? That Yeah, grief is a funny old thing. Um, I found grief to be circular. Mm. Um, it's a, it's, there's, this, there's this thing of the five stages of grief. I think it's quite popular, but it kind of presents people with like, it's this five-step process that you go through and then you're done. Mm-hmm. And like as somebody who's been, been through grief, that I, I know for a fact that, that is that's not how it works. Um, those five different stages do happen, but they're not a five-step program. It's like you can have them in a different order. You can have them again and again and again. Like you know, I've had periods of anger and periods of denial and periods like and and sometimes that happens in in a mix because grief is it's not linear um it's you know it kind of is a journey um i have found that grief is a journey towards connection 
mm-hmm. um, certainly with the loss of my mother. Um, the more grief work I did, the more I felt connected to my mother again. Um, um, that was my my experience. And other people, and other people have had similar experiences as well. So it's just, um, and that's obviously grieving a person rather than grieving other things. There's lots of different types of grief, but I think, yeah, grief kind of evolves and it's circular rather than kind of a linear process. Oh, I wish it was linear. Wouldn't that be great? Yeah, it would be much easier if it was linear. <laughs> like, honestly, it would just be like, Woo, did anger, I did that, done and yeah. done. <laughs> oh, I would love it if it was linear. Then it would be like, I've done all this stuff, right? That's it, done. I'm sorted. I'm okay yeah. now. <laughs> it is, it is, you're right. It is not that way. And there are so many really? wonderful metaphors for it, but it just is not linear yeah it's like a it's like a stew and one spoonful you get a carrot and the next spoonful you just get broth and there isn't necessarily a rhyme or reason or it is um it can come come and go so quickly and so when i think about grief i think about it just trying to honor those feelings by letting them come on you through you and out you and that's how when I think about grief, the thing that you don't want to do is to get stuck in one of those uh, phases. And if if you resist it or you judge it, um, it can it has a way of getting stuck. You get stuck in denial, or you get stuck in anger or bargaining. Or um, but if you can just in a really um, gentle way, allow the feelings to come on you, through you and out you, then you can continue to move through all of it um, in a really liquid way. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's right. You have to feel it. You have to feel it. That's the only way, the only way we can heal is by feeling our feelings. Um, that, yeah, that's something I've learned a lot, and not just in therapy, but in embodiment work and in, um uh yeah and grief work obviously it's just we have to feel our feelings we have to acknowledge them we have to work through them we have to like recognize them for what they are um and you said you you've experienced more connection with your mom um as you've grieved i i love that i what um i have some thoughts on that but i'd love to hear like what do you mean? Well, <laughs> I can tell you're a podcast host because you're asking me questions. <laughs> like, it's so funny. Like, I do this as well when I'm on podcast. I end up asking them questions. Um, no, it's a, uh, I'm sure it's a podcaster thing, I'm sure. Um, but I, but no. Um, yeah, it's been really interesting. I started to, the more grief, work, the more therapy I did, the more embodiment work I did, the more therapy I did. Like, I started to, and I, I started doing yoga as well at the same time. So I was really connected to my body, right? Mm. Um, and so I started to have these transcendent experiences, which I've talked about on the show before. Um, I remember one, I was in a, I was in a um, contemplative service um, in a small um, community, small kind of, um, I suppose, Christian community. Yeah, um, contemplative Christian community. Um, and we were doing Taze. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is French chant, you know, chants in French, singing in French. Like, um, it's quite moving. And my mother was a French teacher. My mother spoke fluent French, right? Oh. So, um, so I was getting the words wrong, and 
And I just, but see, it was weird because suddenly I felt like I was almost, although my body was physically in that space, my consciousness or my spirit or whatever you want to call it was, was kind of almost floating, I guess. And I was, and it was like I was interacting with my mother and we were kind of laughing at me getting the French wrong. Yes. Right. And, uh, and then like one, once, once the chanting bit was over and the service was over, I, I walked home, but I remember like feeling like I was almost separate from everything else around me. I had this energy around me. It was like, it was surreal. It was like anything I'd ever experienced. And I've been in, I've been in Christian churches and had all the Holy Spirit stuff and had all that experience. So it was different to anything I'd ever experienced. And I remember getting home and starting to journal about it. And I'm just like, oh my God. Like, and then I realized what had happened. And it was, um, it was, uh, it was incredible. Um, it's like, I actually had an interaction with my, with my mother. That was real. Um, I spoke to a spiritual coach I know. He said, yeah, yeah, that was real. That really happened. Um, and then I started to have other similar kinds of experience, different, but similar. Um, and it was that point I was starting to learn about human consciousness and consciousness maybe being separate from our bodies and like, um, you know, a different understanding of kind of life after death um, than I had before. And I was, I was starting to like, and at the more, and I was doing embodiment coaching at this, at this point. So I was really in tune with my body. And I was also doing IF, internal family systems therapy, mm-hmm. which is kind of like getting to know your, getting to know your trauma responses in your brain and building relationships with them and keep doing healing so work powerful. and reparenting and stuff. Yeah. It's yes. incredibly powerful. So I was getting to know myself and I was really in tune with my body and my, intuition but also i was very aware that my consciousness was separate from that um and so i began i guess i was getting more in tune with what i call the kind of animating energy of the universe people call it you can call it spirit you can call it whatever people call it and and i and i learned about this thing called quantum entanglement um which is where i'm not a scientist i'm not going to explain this very well but where <laughs> Where, at, where things were it's called, things right, it's called quantum it's called quantum two, entanglement yes okay. it's where where things where two atoms that have been bonded close together can still have that remnants of connection so mm-hmm. i think that's what it is and so and of course our bodies are made of atoms and those atoms go and become different things right um, when we die or whatever and and i guess i just felt like somehow this was this was something this it was a theory that i have and i still have that it's and i'm not a scientist at all i can't prove it i can only prove it with my experiences that that i've been interacting somehow with my mother's consciousness and repairing my relationship with her and doing healing work in our relationship and somehow we were having yeah it was and I, the more grief work i did and the more healing i did the more forgiveness i did the more i you know the more i did all of all this work the more i was feeling a connection and um and that's really what it was that's really how that worked and um and i know that some people will sound, say that sounds a bit woo woo and whatever but um and it's like it, and, and some people might even say that it's a way of trying to avoid the fact that your mother is dead and it's mm-hmm. not that at all I, my mother is dead physically she is dead 
Um, she's not here anymore, um, and I can't just see her and speak to her any day of the week. Um, <laughs> but I, but I, I know that I've, but I know that I have had experiences of her consciousness, um, um, and I haven't. You know, they don't happen very often. But um, I'll tell you, actually, one experience was I was with my niece, who is now four. And her middle name is actually my mother's name. Um, mm. And she reminds me a lot of my mother and her personality and stuff. And there was one moment where I was kneeling on the ground. Look, um, actually, I was looking up at her because I was so low on the ground. And I remember she looked, she turned around and looked at me. And her eyes were not a four-year-old's eyes. It was like, I don't know, it was really strange. It, was like, it wasn't like she normally looked at me. And um, she put her her. her hands on my cheeks like my mother used to do exactly oh, the same way and it was just like a little moment and then she was back to being her again and it was and I I, I don't know <laughs> it felt like that was my mother actually my mother doing that it was it was I can't explain it other than I knew what I felt at that moment and it was not a an emotional thing at all it was a yeah it was it was um transcendent I suppose you could call it yeah. um yeah, so I've had experiences like that, and even now when I'm with, even recently I was with my niece, and um, again something something similar to that happened. It wasn't exactly the same as that, but it was another experience of interaction which felt a bit like it wasn't just my niece, you know. Um, but um, yeah, so that's kind of my experience of that. And other people can have completely different experiences, and they are all valid. Mine is not the only correct way of, of the, these things happening like we each have our own stories and our own experiences but but that is my experience um I love that. and i think that that's part of the gift of grief is if you allow yourself to do exactly what you're saying and that is to deeply feel it 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 brings you to this other um space you dimension whatever word you want to call it and I, I like to say that's where you can sort of hear the still, small, quiet voice of the divine, which to me can't really be separated from my voice, but it also can't be separated from the voices of those who I've lost, who I'm grieving. And it is this, it, there is access to um, divine moments that cannot be proven, but they also cannot be disproved. And you get to either push it away and deny it, or you get to hold it in close and let it impact you in these beautiful healing ways. And if you resist that grief, you really can't get there because you're, you're, you're stuck in all of that feeling. Um, I, I have similar experiences. I had a grandmother who I was incredibly, incredibly close with. And so when she passed, um, it was really difficult and I will forever grieve that I don't get to have her here. But um, I was driving to her home. It wasn't long after she had died. And I was driving and I was crying and I just kept saying over and over, like, I just miss you so much and I miss you so much. And, and I could feel this moment where I didn't want to feel the pain anymore. And I almost turned on the radio to just be like, you know what, I'm just going to I'm just going to listen to something else. I'm going to listen to something so I don't have to feel this. And I can think about the song. Or I can think about the podcast I want to listen to or whatever. But I, I felt this pull to just like 
no, just let yourself keep going there. And I did. And I got to the moment where there were no, no more tears. It was just quiet. And I, and I still felt this, I just miss you so much. And, and then I felt like I was asking her, like, do you miss me? And I felt her say, I, you know, I adore you love you. You know that. But I don't miss you the way that you miss me because I am here with all of my loved ones and there are more of them here than there were on earth. And it was just like, I was thinking, I would have never thought of that on my own. It's not like I was like, now who who died before my grandmother that if there is a heaven that, or if there is an afterlife that she would be with and da, 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 da. And it, it really, it was this new thought that I believe was her letting me know it didn't diminish her relationship. It didn't diminish her love and care for me, but she was letting me know like, Hey, you, it's okay. I see your pain and you are cherished, but, but I'm actually enjoying myself so much. Um, Mm. We get to go to those quiet places when we, when we allow all of that sadness and anger or whatever the feeling is to wash through us, there are these moments of silence. And in that is the potential for the still small voice of that, that divine, that comes in and it's special it is yeah it's difficult to explain to somebody who's not experienced it as well like you can't really it's you can only really understand it if you've experienced it um you know um i know that you and you i could tell you understood what i was talking about when i was telling my story because yeah it i don't know there's something you can just you can just tell i guess it's a yeah, intuitively, but um, but I think that I... relates to deconstruction. I don't know. Have you? Do you? Because to me, there is a what you said. You kept saying it because I I know I, you say it when you tell these stories to people. You're sort of like, now listen. I realize this is a little different, and I can't necessarily prove this. But in the evangelical world that I grew up in, everything could be proved with a scripture. Mm. And so then to move away from that and to have a lot of evangelicals say, if, if you move away from that, then it's not a valid faith. It is not the best faith. It is, not, it is watered down at best. Hmm. Um, but there can be such freedom if you don't have to try and prove it. And you can, you, to have the very same words that you used around this um, encounter with your mother around your faith to say, I, I, I can't prove to you that uh, that God affirmed me as a gay person. I can't prove to you that the first kiss I had with a woman, the Holy Spirit filled the car and I could f- it felt like a wind of affirmation and love and singing over me. I can't prove that. But you know what? I it did experience that. And um, I could let other people try to take it away. I could have other, and I have had other people try to disprove it, but at the end of the day, it is mine and no one can touch it. Mm. Uh, And it is real and it is powerful 
to allow that for yourself. Um, and to me, that is a part of the reconstruction process is to say, mm. my faith, my experience of God, my belief in the Bible or any other spiritual books or even novels, doesn't matter um, that it, no one can prove it or disprove it for me. It is my connection with God and with the divine. Um, and that gets to come in all kinds of forms. It gets to come in Taylor Swift and it gets to come in and it gets to come in mowing the grass and it gets to come in on a Sunday morning at church. It gets to come in all, all these places. Yes. Sex. It could come in sex. Um, yes. Yeah. I can tell you that absolutely does come in Taylor Swift. That is absolutely. <laughs> Your face lit up when I said Taylor Swift. <laughs> ah, this podcast is a big fan of Taylor Swift. We've done a few episodes on Taylor Swift. Oh, that's um, amazing. We've talked about Taylor Swift and the story and. Um, well, that kind of thing. So, yes, yes, um, yes, all too well, the 10-minute version. That is ther- that, that song is therapeutic. <laughs> that song, part of that song resonates with my story. Without, I'm not going to go into detail, but like, part of that song resonates with my story. And I, um, Yeah, and Exile, oh, my gosh, that's a deconstruction song. Here I heard one. So, um, but I could do a whole episode on Taylor Swift. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but um, yeah, um, one of the things actually I wanted to I wanted to explore was like it's something that I've been processing recently in therapy was was generational grief mm. because I, I I was doing some therapy recently and like I realized I realized that my great grandfather that I was still carrying generational grief from like from especially on my my dad's side of the family because my my um, great grandfather had ten children, and five of them died in his lifetime. Oh. Um, and his wife also died during his lifetime. Um, and one of those children that died was my grandfather. Um, um, and then my grand my grandfather actually lost his eldest daughter, um, and his mother while he was alive, and. My dad lost his father um, because he died when my dad was quite young, and so and then of course I lost my mother. So there was a there's like a whole. I realized I was carrying all this in my body, um, and I was kind of and I ended up doing some internal family systems work to kind of do healing work with my great grandfather and with and like processing that grief because I realized that some of that some of that generational grief have been passed down into kind of bad habits that have been in our family. Um, and I had a really, I had a really a powerful experience where I was literally kind of metaphorically burning all these old habits, putting them away. And I could feel that part of my brain here, like really throbbing like painfully. And then while I was doing it and then it stopped when I was done, um, and this is like right at the back, so it's like this is right at my, you know, kind of um, what do they call it, your lizard brain. Um, so it's right at the root of who I am because it's generational. Um, yeah, um, and yeah, that was quite that was a quite incredible experience, and I definitely was a, I noticed the change in me almost immediately in my behaviours, in certain behaviours that I that I had before. And that I 
um, and that suddenly I was not doing those things anymore. Um, and what have you? What I mean, what what's kind of your understanding or experience of like generational grief? Yeah, it's funny that you said you could feel it in your body because I was thinking the words it's in it's in our very cells. Yeah. Um, and I love internal family systems. It's um, definitely something that we do um, at the Christian Closet and Progressive Christian Counseling uh, because it does, our brains are wild that um, it doesn't have to be really happening <laughs> for our brains to think that it's really happening. So if we can go into that sort of relaxed state and and have these imaginative experiences, imaginative conversations that are real, but aren't real, <laughs> you know, yeah. it does have a way of healing our brains and creating new pathways of doing things in new ways. Um, and that you are a hundred percent right. We hold all of that in our body. Um, and so we might not know, you know, gosh, why, yeah, why do I always have this sense of loneliness? Or why do I, why have I had even physical ailments? My left knee, uh, you know, I've always had issues with it, or I can't seem to lose that weight, or, um, you know, what a, there are all of these manifestations that come and uh, are held in our bodies, and they are heavy, and you're right. And the I know it can, it can sometimes feel like, well, I don't want to talk about the past because that's painful. Or I don't even know, I didn't even know my great grandfather. What does that have to do with me? Or, um, but they, it is very powerful. It, just because it, it's hard and you don't want to, doesn't mean that it's not there impacting you. Um, and mm. so internal family systems is one of the ways that you can absolutely access some of that pain and trauma and begin to, find new ways of being in the world uh, it's really yeah. powerful it is it's really powerful I, I, yeah that, that therapy definitely saved my my life in many ways mm. um it helped me unlearn purity culture as well aha uh -huh, like, yes i literally felt the neuro pathways firing when i was doing that session when we were i was letting go of all of those things it was and again it was like almost an instant change um yeah That's the brain amazing. is incredible it sounds like you have an amazing therapist. I do. Well, no, I've, I've, I had one IFS therapist and then they kind of retired or stepped back um, and um, and they, they were only doing weekly weekly patients and I was a monthly patient. Um, and so I found another one. Um, and they're currently kind of taking a break. So, so I won't have any sessions for a while, but um, I've done enough of it now that I can actually do it myself almost. Yes. And I, I built relationships with different managers. Yep. Um, I've got good relationships with healthy managers who can just do what they need to do without me even having to tell them, right? Um, I personalized them into different characters as well. Um, like uh, everyone knows I'm kind of a, a geeky person, love, loves superheroes and hmm. stuff. So like one of my managers is like Steve Rogers. One of them is um, Tony Stark. One of them is... Clark Kent, I think. One of them is Black Widow. Um, and then there's a few others as well. Like, but they're all kind of these characters, right? So um, so you start having a relationship with these with these these managers and then they do good work for you. And that's right. 
Um, and I've actually noticed times when that's happened and it's been like, awesome. <laughs> that's yeah. really helped. Thank you. <laughs> like, yes. I got to thank them afterwards for doing a good job. Like it was, um, yeah, it's, um, and it's like getting to know yourself better. But these, are, these are all parts of you. That's right. Um, 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 they're kind of trauma. They, what, they were trauma responses and then you've done the healing work and reparenting and you've repurposed them into yes. something else. <laughs> yeah, where they might have been once a, a part of you that you hated, that you rejected, that you wish wasn't true. But when you can reparent them and heal them, they become these amazing gifts. Um, yeah. no, no one is perfect, but that they offer, they they are a part of you because they've been trying to help you somehow. And oftentimes it comes out in these sideways ways that isn't helpful. But when you begin to give them what they need and, and love them and help them, then they actually can begin to give you the good gifts that they are there for. Yeah, absolutely. And you can you can also go and relive traumatic memories and kind of almost relive them in the way that you would you would have wished them to be, mm-hmm. or comfort your younger self, which is something that I did. Um, like in, in a sense, parent reparent yourself. Um, yeah, it's brilliant. I recommend it to anybody. I recommend it to anybody. It's it's it's, it's such a good such a good a good way of having therapy. Um, and you get to know yourself, and you start to feel a bit less alone, as well, because you've got yeah. these these people in your brain who you can work with to be healthier. Um, yes, that's right. So let's say um, you're going to a party and you're feeling anxious. So you're like, oh, I don't know what to do. You know, being able to check in with those different parts of yourself and see if anyone has any ideas of how to help you in that moment of anxiety, social anxiety. Or, um, I, yeah. I don't like flying. I really hate being on an airplane. And I was on an airplane uh, a couple of days ago and I was having to majorly reach into those parts of me that could help comfort the little kid that was scared. Um, and and so there's lots of different scenarios in our lives where it can be really powerful. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, your th- your your therapy practice sounds sounds amazing. Um, if it's doing all this stuff, fantastic. Thank you. Yeah, we're so lucky. I mean, it. Um, when I actually when I was a first a therapist for the first five years, I really did not like it, and I thought, oh my god, I did all this schooling and all these hours for nothing, and I thought that I thought this was what I loved, and I thought this is what maybe God had for me, and and I don't like it. And then I, you know, it took me a couple of years of sort of being depressed and disillusioned to finally realize, like, no, it's it was the kind of work that I was doing. Um, I I wanted to walk with people who. Um, we're asking these kinds of questions that we're talking about today around um, being being LGBTQ plus and and how does how do you do that with either a, f- a faith it doesn't have to be even a Christian faith but what do you do with all that what do you do with the Bible and the trauma and the church and and yourself yeah. and um, and once I started to realize that it it was it was just sort of this big opening of like yes this is what I want to do with my life. Um, and people often ask me, oh, my God, are you sad every day? You have to listen to people's problems and their sad stories. And I'm like, no, it's not sad at all. It is so hopeful 
Because even when I'm in a moment of deep grief with someone and it is really, really sad, I've done this long enough that I can see the, the arc and I know what's down the road and I know the hope and the goodness and the healing that's there. And so um, it's, it's not sad work. It's really hopeful work. Um, and the fact that we can do it online is such a gift and we've been doing that for a long time. And so we get to see people all over the world. Uh, it's incredibly exciting. Yeah. 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 That must be amazing. When you've, I think I, I know, I know what you mean because I, I, I see a lot of people who are kind of at points in their journey where I've been mm-hmm. and going through things that I'm going through and expressing things that I was expressing. And it kind of, I feel, and, I, and because I know that they're on the journey and they're doing the work, I feel a bit, it makes me feel a bit hopeful for them and like, you know, happy for them because I know where they're going to, I know they're on the right path and I know where they're going to get to. Yes. And it's, it's kind of, although they can't see it, so I can't talk about it to them. I can't <laughs> tell them that, but I, but I can, I feel inside of me like, you know, it's, it's going to be okay. You know, um, they're going to be okay. Um yeah, so I guess that's kind of similar to what you yes. you feel because you've seen it, right? So, um, that's right. yeah, and there is hope in that. There is, and we need a bit of hope right now. Um, yeah, I was going to ask, actually, how how is doing this work been kind of healing and transformative for you? Mm. Yeah, well, I mean, one of the things that is very important to me and that I require of all of our therapists um, is that we all do our own therapeutic work. Mm. Um, I believe that we can only take people as deep and as far as we've gone ourselves. Absolutely. Um, And also, you know, you don't want to put crap on your clients. So, um, and if you don't do your own work, it's really easy to, to accidentally work out your own stuff with someone else that you're working with. Um, So I've been in and out of therapy for, over 20 years and, uh, you know, very much value it. Um, so it is, it is just, there, um, mentioned the five stages of grief. One of the people that, so there's one person who really coined the five stages of grief, her, um, like apprentice at the time, he, uh, this is, this is, I promise this is all going to come around. He, in the last couple of years, in the last few years, he actually came up with a sixth stage of grief because, unfortunately, one of his sons died. His young son died. And so in his what he realized was there was six uh, part of it, and that's making meaning was an important part of his grief. And so he came up with, you know, there's the all of the, the same ones, bargaining and denial and anger and all of that, depression. But making meaning is a really important part of grief. And that's where this gets to be for me, the gift of making meaning of all the grief that I've been through. Um, When I meet with my clients, um, it is a gift to be able to point to that and say there was a, a meaning, there's been a meaning to all of the many years of deep grief of wanting to die, of feeling so alone, of not understanding this, of rejecting myself. Um, there was, there was beautiful meaning in all of it. And, um, not that I necessarily, you know, needed to go through it, but I did. And it's a gift that there gets to be beauty that comes from it. Mm. Yeah, that's 
That's powerful. Hmm. Yeah, I'm glad that. Oh, yeah, and I love that. That that sixth sixth kind of stage. I guess. Of course, we don't talk about it in a hierarchical term. But correct. But that, but that actually makes a lot of sense to me because I, I think that was the thing. I that's one of the things that I struggled to do until I, until I started talking about it on this podcast. Um, and the last couple of years, I've been talking about it a lot on this podcast, and that's been. That's actually been part of my healing process, right? Because um, it's kind of like I wanted to, I wanted to share what I had learned with other people, and I wanted to other people to understand um, the lessons that I had learned and benefit from that. Um, so yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That uh, yeah, finding meaning through grief. Yeah. Um, and you've written a book, haven't you? So um, just um, just tell us a little bit about that. And yeah. It's, it, it's Anyone out there who's written a book, I, it is not for the faint of heart. Uh, <laughs> <Absolutely>. <laughs> I've written a book, yeah. Woo, it's a doozy. So we're, um, you know, we're very much in the editing. It's uh, a long process. But essentially, it's going to be about those folks and churches and individuals and families who have become affirming. Um, there's still a lot of work to be done. Sometimes a church will become affirming and they don't they're like, well, why are no gay people coming here? I don't understand. Or a family member says like, well, I said I love you. Why don't, why don't you feel safe with me yet? Um, and so there can be this really big gap of understanding. What does it mean to be an ally? What does it mean to be affirming? And actually it needs, you need, there's more work that needs to be done than just simply saying like, oh, I don't think you're sinning anymore by being queer. Um, so the book is, is about that. Um, and, and hopefully will be a gracious guide for folks. That sounds very exciting. Yeah. That sounds really important book. Yeah. Love that. Yeah. So I'm publishing it through Erdman's, uh, Erdman's publishing and hopefully we'll be out in about a year. Well, when it comes out, we'll have you back on the show to talk about it. I would love that. That would be so great. Yeah. Um, it's been really, really great. I really enjoyed this. Um, Me too. Thank you, James. Um, and I'm glad we connected. Um, where can people find you and your work online? Uh, Instagram, lesbian, uh, the, les the lesbian therapist, or my, I, I think I'm just lesbian therapist. Um, let's see my websites, thechristiancloset.com, uh, progressivechristiancounseling.com. I'm the, I'm the person you can fill out a contact form. I'm the person who gets those contact forms. But, um, like I said, I'm also on social media, so, um, you can find me on all of those. Fantastic. Please do connect with um, Candice. Uh, I highly recommend it. Um, yeah, fantastic. This is really great. I love talking about this subject. And um, yeah, this is really, this is really great. So um, thank you, uh, Candice. And thank you for listening, everybody.